As we ease on into WIP Sunday, my name's Peter Solomon, and a chilly, rainy, yucky WIP Sunday it promises to be. So if you go out and about, take an umbrella, maybe a raincoat, or at least a sweater, and stay safe and stay warm. Before we get into today's interview, I want to remind folks of two things that happened yesterday. It's the anniversary of the assassination of Abraham Lincoln last Saturday, on Saturday, this past Saturday. And it's also the anniversary of the sinking of the Titanic, two events that changed the world. Thoughts and prayers for those people that we lost when we lost Abraham Lincoln and when we lost the Titanic. Now, as we move on, I want to welcome David Petruza. David is a journalist and author and has an expertise in international trade. And what we're going to talk about is tariffs. Certainly they've been in the news lately. And the game of will they or won't they seems to be going on. Will they or won't they impose tariffs on things coming from China? And will China impose tariffs on things coming from the U.S.? With that in mind, let me say good morning to David Petrusa. Good morning, David. Good morning. Okay. David, will they or won't they? Will they or won't they? That's the billion-dollar question, and it looks like they probably will do some. But I don't think it will be as much as originally planned. Um, if it is, it will lead to some trouble. But the question is, if you don't do anything, if the government doesn't do anything, if the administration doesn't, well, do we continue on the same path which we have gone down for quite a while, which uh, would lead to Chinese domination of manufacturing and international property? Two very big and really unprecedented issues uh, in the, the history of the global economy. Um, where in previous times where we've discussed tariffs, it's, it's sort of been us against the world. This is really only about us versus China. So it's a, it's a different ball game. And when you discuss tariffs and the manufacturing base, it's also a defense issue. If so much is made abroad, say microchips or the ability to create missiles or tanks or anything like that, iron, steel, uh, if push comes to shove in the international arena, uh, we are at a distinct disadvantage. The uh, machinery, the uh, forge of democracy that defeated the Axis in World War II um, really wouldn't have the wherewithal to do the uh, get the job done um, in today's or tomorrow's world. All right. Using your example of tanks and other machines of war, if we impose sanctions on China, tariffs on China, and we try to pick up the slack here in America, isn't that just going to ra- cause prices to go up? And Congress Abs- absolutely. To- and Congress to impose new taxes to pay for those tanks. Well, uh, the tariff is a tax. Okay, that's that's what that's what seems to be getting lost in a lot of the discussion, and it's it's interesting in the in the yin and yang of 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 tariff discussion that uh, if so if one tax goes up or one tax goes down, you're going to see um, you're 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 going to see this this correlation, and we just had taxes go down significantly on income, and we're seeing the talk of another tax, the tariff 
going up. So that in, and the tariffs are very specific. They're not like a sales tax where it's largely across the board. There may be exemptions in certain states for food or for clothing under $200 in New York City. But in, in the tariffs, you could have huge amounts of, of goods or huge categories of goods which were exempt. They could come in for free. The consumer paid, and it's a consumer tax. The consumer could choose what, what product to buy. They could buy, um, you know, something made of wool or not made by some, not buy something made of wool. wool. They could buy a British woolen uh, and not an American woolen. But um, when they do that, uh, they, there are some which are some items which are going to be taxed phenomenally, and some not. This goes back all the way to Hamilton, where we had the infant industries that was the category or the terminology back then where america was basically a producer of raw materials we were a cologne we were a colony we were a colonial system we didn't have the manufacturing base that was britain and to facilitate to facilitate america having a, a manufacturing base to be able to have wage earners in in that sector of the economy to have the ability to make goods to be prepared for national defense. Hamilton said, let's have a system of protection. And this separated the two parties very neatly all the way up from Hamilton through basically the Great Depression, the Hawley-Smoot tariff of the 1930s, where the Democrats were the low-tariff party or tariff for revenue, as they would say, and the Republicans and their predecessors, the Whigs, and their predecessors, the Federalists, were in favor of tariffs not only for revenue but for protection. And, you know, there's some scholars today, not many, but they will argue that the Civil War really wasn't about slavery, which is nonsense, but was about tariffs. But, in fact, the first Southern uh, acts of nullification in South Carolina, going back to the um, John Quincy Adams administration, don't deal with slavery. They deal with the tariffs. There was something called the Tariff of Abominations, which was ridiculously high, uh, really unprecedented at that point, and high by any standards, and that's what they were upset against. The Confederacy did, however, in their Constitution say there would be no tariffs enacted for protection, only for revenue. Now, how this was ever going to work out back in the 19th century, we never got to found out, find out because of the Union blockade. They couldn't import anything. And if they did, people were very glad to uh, pay whatever they could, could for it. Okay, though. But can we pick up the slack if demand increases for home-based stuff like steel and aluminum? Right. So if if you do that, you know, any, you know, soda can, any building made of steel is is simply going to cost more uh, if, if they're being built with, with foreign Chinese uh, materials. So if you do that, it's also going to be an inflationary push. Now, the great tariff that people point to when they are in opposition to the concept of tariffs 
is the Hawley-Smoot tariff of 1930. And... They blame that for the Great Depression. Now, the Great Depression was starting anyway. There were a lot of factors. Uh, American imports were only 4.5% of GNP. The exports were five. Exports were 5% of GNP. Uh, they were cut in half, exports and imports, as, as people tighten tariffs, which you know leads to a 2% drop in the in the uh, overall economy. Okay. So that does not translate into the horrors of the Great Depression, but it was a mitigating factor, not a mitigating, but an exacerbating factor in in lessening the uh, efficiency of the economy, of creating more unemployment. But it doesn't explain the whole, the whole thing. But it will raise taxes, or, or will will raise the cost of living. That's one of the one of the criticisms. That was raised in the 1920s with the uh, uh, Fordney-McCumber tariff of 1922, where the Republicans were raising tariffs after tariffs had been lowered in, in 1913. One of the things which, is, which was said by a student of tariffs, by, he was the Speaker of the House. He was a really powerful Speaker of the House. His name was Uncle Joe Cannon, and he was quite a character. He kind of looked like Uncle Sam, and he was from out in the sticks in Illinois. But he was a pretty savvy guy. He was in Congress forever, and he uh, elucidated or put together a thesis, which is that whenever you were dealing with tariffs, you were creating uncertainty in the economy. Tariffs were dealt with very differently then. Right now, it's a question of what is Trump going to do? Is What is the executive going to do uh you might need a treaty later on or can he do this unilaterally he's going to do a lot of this unilaterally it's not going to be a congressional thing back then it was purely congressional and what it was is once the process started and got rolling in congress it could last for a year because you would have this phenomenal log rolling much as occurs with the federal income tax at this point, where if I'm going to have a deduction for this, if I vote for, if someone else votes for it, they're going to want a deduction for that. And so it's a, a large process of back scratching. It was as much or more so with tariffs, and you didn't know what was going to go up or down. So if, say, woolens or sugar was going to be taxed, uh, with a new tariff, or if it's going to be lowered. If you're a domestic producer of that, you don't know what the competition's price structure is going to be. It creates a system of in, uh, uncertainty and can hurt the economy. The uncertainty which is going on right now with tariffs is the stock market. So you see that same principle of uncertainty going on. There's also a political side effect, or there was, to the tariffs because it was a congressional and not an executive process, is whether the tariffs were increased under Republicans or lowered under Democrats, say, in the 1890s or in 1913, the party in power would take phenomenal hits in the House of Representatives, maybe 14%, 18%, or even 35% of its House membership being lost in the next uh, elections. So 
it's it's a really dicey thing. And the other thing to, to balance is this. Right now, we we seem to have lost the idea that there is that you have to pay for the government, that you have to balance the budgets. Back then, budgets had to be balanced, except in time of war. And what you would do if you lost revenue with the tariff, you would have to make it up in some other way. So when tariffs went down at the beginning of the 20th century, you had to make it up in some way. And that way was the income tax. Uh, income taxes are started out really historically as, as I said, about the impact of war on economies and taxation and government spending. Uh, as war taxes with the British, you see in America the first two income taxes are in the American Civil War. Again, uh, if so much a very different time, if the income tax is 1% or 2%, uh, the first Supreme Court uh, decision on, on uh, the income tax says, yes, it's okay, it's constitutional. Congress gets rid of it uh, anyway in the antebellum uh, period. When the Congress brings it back in the 1890s, the Supreme Court surprises everyone in a 5-4 decision and says it's unconstitutional, it's a direct tax. It has to be put in with a constitutional amendment in 1916, again, with rates ranging from 1% to 7% on the highest of incomes. And, of course, that's, that looks like a nirvana or a golden age right now. Uh, but it, it's, it, it then is designed to replace the tariffs. And there's, there's really three systems of, of, ter- of taxation you could do back then. Tariffs, income tax, or excise taxes. In one way or another the American public is going to pay. The government has to be paid for. The excise taxes, which are on, on domestically produced goods, and could be on a whole range of, of goods, at the same time that uh, Hoover was raising taxes and Hawley Smoot on, the, on imports, there was also a huge range of excise taxes being put in. And the, one of the first taxes or acts of Congress was in 1791, which was the excise tax on whiskey, the whiskey tax. And people weren't crazy about that either because that leads to the Western or the Whiskey Rebellion in Western Pennsylvania, and Washington has to call in in the troops. And speaking of whiskey, when Prohibition came in, that meant that all the federal revenue, or virtually all the federal revenue on alcohol was lost to the federal government, and you had to make that up in some way. But right now we don't somehow, we've magically lost the ability or the need to have a balanced budget, and there there is a fourth method of taxation. It's very unofficial, but it's really inflation. Inflation is one of the hardest and the cruelest uh, methods of taxation because your debt is paid for, but it's paid for on the backs of, say, people who have saved and retirees, people on fixed incomes, who in the future are going to find their purchasing power sliced in a death of a thousand cuts. And you're listening to WIP Sunday here on 94 WIP. My guest this morning, David Petruza. He's an author, 
and an expert on tariffs in international trade. And David, you stay with me. I've got to run a few commercials. Got to pay those bills. We'll be back in just a bit. The WIP time, 717. And we're back. It's WIP Sunday. My name's Peter Solomon. I'm here with David Petruza. David is a journalist, author, and expert on international trade and tariffs in particular. All right, David, which is going to hurt us the least as consumers? Oh, is that? What's going to hurt us the least as consumers? Um, in the long run, um, doing nothing will, will hurt us a great deal. In the short run, raising the tariffs, uh, creating a, a, a trade war, or even not creating a trade war, uh, because if if you do raise the rates, you're raising the cost of the goods produced. <laughs> Look for, uh, you know, uh, with a lot of things being raised, uh, it's going to be um, on metal goods. Uh, it will be on construction. It can raise the, the rates of building uh, things, of cars, uh, construction, any of, of things like that. But one of the things we we have not talked about in terms of of hurting uh, a block of of the public is agriculture. And what we're seeing now um, is if you push at one end of the tariff schedule, maybe manufactured goods, what you see is a pressure coming around on the other side, which is on agricultural goods or raw materials. The agricultural goods and to a large extent that we're talking about now, are things like uh, corn and soybeans from the Midwest and from the South, uh, which are imported by the Chinese. The Chinese have trouble feeding all their people. We are the great uh, granary of the world, and we, we ship goods over there. And China has indicated that they will retaliate the farm block, which is a big support to Donald Trump, uh, may find that uh, they have been hurt by these new Chinese tariffs if, in fact, they are imposed on such things as soybeans and corn. And Trump at first was saying that this would not have an effect. Then his position was, yes, uh, the U.S. farmer would be bearing uh some pain in this regard, but being patriotic, they could suck it up and do this. Whether they will want to is another question. Whether they will wish to bear the burden of our trade war is is the $64 question. And one of the things which is, which is interesting in the history of tariffs is traditionally in the 19th century, it was the, the manufacturing base which was all for them and the rates benefited the manufacturer. But then in the 19th century, you saw uh, things like woolens and sugar being a big por portion of the debate and what is going to happen uh, in protection for those industries. And then after World War I, World War I creates all sorts of disruptions in the world, disruptions which are going to lead to communism and fascism and Nazism. But it also creates overproduction in the U.S. agricultural field. And so we're selling all kinds of, of foodstuffs to Europe in World War I. 
we are putting more money into agriculture. The farmers are. They're, they're putting more land into, into production. They're buying more farm equipment. They're selling more goods to, to Europe. And then after the war, that changes so that when you see the uh, Ford D. McCumber Act of 1922 or the uh, Hawley Smooth Act, these things are largely put forward because rates are already high on manufactured goods to protect agriculture. It's very interesting that um, to protect agriculture, there were a, a couple of uh, acts put forward in the Congress, very progressive, which were uh, vetoed by Calvin Coolidge. And uh, Herbert Hoover decides, well, we're not going to do that, but we need to do something to protect American agriculture. So he puts forward a, uh, an initiative to do that in the Congress. And again, what I said is once you start the process rolling, you started at one point in the Congress, and it comes out somewhere else. So that uh, instead of just protecting agriculture in 1929 and 1930, you're seeing the rates go out off on all sorts of things, all sorts of manufactured items. They're going up at that time and helping to trade that uh, trigger that international trade war. So it's the same principle that we start talking about tariffs and trade with aluminum and steel and intellectual property, um, and we end up talking about soybeans. Who gets the money from a tariff? The federal government gets the money from the tariff. But, of course, the question is if you – now, here's, here's a really interesting question. If there's a Laffer curve, and the Laffer curve was, was what our economist Arthur Laffer, who's still around, uh, I saw him speak a couple years ago, uh, was the fellow who developed the, the plan for um, Ronald Reagan. And it was based on the old uh, Andrew Mellon, another Pennsylvania fellow, Treasury Secretary under Harding and Coolidge, who said, you know, if you raise the, t- the, the marginal tax rates so high – you're not going to get all the money because it's going to distort how people raise their money and they're going to hide their money in tax-free municipals and all that. But if you lower the rates, you'll get more money. And so if you, if you raise the tariff rates phenomenally, actually you're going to see that same Laffer curve go into effect for them. And that's sort of the idea behind protection, whether it's Alexander Hamilton or Donald Trump. The idea is if you raise uh, the tariff on British manufactured goods in 1793 or whether you raise the tariff on Chinese steel or manufactured items in 2018, you're going to create a base which allows American manufactured manufacturers to grow and to produce competitive items and then Americans will buy American goods, which what's the effect of that is they buy fewer imported goods, British or Chinese, and that causes your revenue to go down. So it's really a balancing act between creating jobs, creating revenue, decreasing jobs, decreasing revenue. But, but 
The simple, facile answer is that the federal government gets the money, and the federal government, at least in the short term, before people either stop buying or before American manufacturers are more competitive, they uh, receive a hit, a positive hit, in revenue, which is not such a bad idea because if you had a straight tariff across the board, okay, for revenue, this is what we're not talking about in this whole debate. We're talking about tariffs uh, for protection. We're not talking about tariffs for revenue. It's only about 1% now of the gross federal revenues paying for our our federal government. But in fact, with a tremendous deficit, uh, we've got to pay for it some way. What if you raised it marginally, which would not have an impact on trade, but would simply be, you know, a tremendous increase uh, in in terms of revenue for the federal government? That's a debate with, that we're not having. Okay, I want I want to raise a question I asked before, and I'm not sure I got an answer to. So I'm gonna okay, make, I'm going to ask it again in a little more concrete. I'm an American builder, and I want to build a skyscraper, and it's yes. steel and aluminum. And if Chinese steel and aluminum has become so expensive because of tariffs, will the American steel and aluminum industry have the ability to meet my needs, or am I going to have to wait longer to get my needs met? Ah, that's a great question, because if, if in fact, <clears throat> the, the protectionist idea works, uh, in, in fact, maybe we don't have the ability to increase production right away. And if we don't, what happens is what the, the builder it has no other choice but to continue to buy the Chinese goods or the Indian goods or uh, the foreign-made goods at a, the higher price the higher price, which is going to the federal government in terms of, of tax revenues. So your, your question is, is very good, and there's going to be a, a great lag there. But even if, even if the Americans can um, uh, increase their production, they're still going to, it's not going to be at first going to cause their prices to go down. The, the people who are building your, the skyscraper in question are buying um, Chinese uh, metal, not because of any sentiment or pro-Chinese uh, idea, but simply because it's, it's cheaper now and it's more expensive than the American goods. And the American goods are not magically going to become cheaper just because you've imposed a tariff on the imported goods. What really has to be done is is we're only looking at one side of the coin here. We're looking at what the foreign manufacturers can do, in part because China does one thing, which is to put the, the entire, not the entire, but a good portion of the resources of their entire economy into the manufacturing base to make it really super competitive or above competition with American or European goods. But also the uh, uh, what we have to do is I've lost my train of thought here, but the uh, it, it's, it is, is a phenomenally uh, complex question. Certainly. Um, 
another way I'm going to ask the question. Um, I have a friend who is into miniatures, style furniture and that kind of stuff. Yes. And she buys a lot of stuff that comes from China. Yes, Indonesia, too, with all the wood. Right. If the tariffs get passed, is she going to be paying more for her doll furniture? Well, it depends what they what what Trump decides to do. I suspect it's going to be an across the board sort of thing. And yes, yes, if if uh, and, and actually uh, past is uh, past is a misnomer again because it's not going to be a congressional uh, situation. One of the things which uh, we did in the last hundred years after Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal was to determine that uh, this process of, of reciprocity, which is actually means negotiation, so that when Larry Kudlow, who just joined the Trump administration, a very classical liberal fellow on the economy, uh, very much a free trader, very much opposed to tariffs and tariff wars, says we don't know if we're going to do this. Well, we don't know if we're going to do this if, a process of negotiation takes uh, part where Trump has tweeted that he's heard positive messages back from the Chinese government, that they are willing to negotiate. You know, sometimes, as the, as the old joke goes, you've got to hit the donkey over the head with the two-by-four to get his attention. We haven't been getting the Chinese attention on anything for a very long time on trade. And so... If, in fact, uh, this sort of uh, what critics might call blustering on, on tariffs and trade gets the attention of the Chinese government, the Chinese Red Army, and, and the Chinese oligarchy, uh, and, and causes them to not dump their goods on America and to allow our manufacturing base to, to exist in, in, a, in a freer, more competitive uh, situation – that's where I was going. As Casey Stengel used to say, that's where I was going. What I was talking about or started to talk about was in terms of making the American economy competitive with foreign economies and in terms of keeping prices lower for the consumer, what also has to be done is not just imposing tariffs or tariff schedules, it's to look at the American system of regulation. If you have a system where the American industry and manufacturing base is so highly regulated that it forces costs up, uh, then yes, Americans are going to turn either the foreign goods or they're going to pay a lot more for American goods or they're going to lose the jobs and that's that's something which is a, a, a major factor in the manufacturing sector. So it's a it's a question of really a I hesitate to word, use the word because it sounds so new age, but a holistic uh, approach to trade, to manufacturing, and to the U.S. and to the world economy. Certainly, is a complicated issue. Commercial time again, unfortunately. So let's say. We'll be right back here on 94 WIP, the WIP time, 735. And we're back here on WIP Sunday, the home stretch with David Petruza, expert on tariffs, helping us understand what's a very complicated issue 
I'm not sure I understand it even now, but I'm doing better. <laughs> um, how'd you get so smart, David? <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> you you sort of you sort of start picking at things, and before you know it, you've got a whole bunch of useless information in your brain, which occasionally becomes becomes useful. By the way, I should mention that the impetus for uh, this little talk here uh, started out with an, an article in the uh, Coolidge Quarterly, which I'm the new editor of, and which is the uh, publication, official publication of the Calvin Coolidge uh, Presidential Foundation up in uh, uh, Plymouth, Vermont. Uh, Calvin Coolidge was a, uh, a big proponent uh, of the tariff uh, and uh, – what he did, what he did was, uh, they've had debates up there. One of the one of the features uh, of the found of the foundation, which is to promote debates between high school students, and they have they've had I think probably thousands of students come in now. And one of the things that they have debated, as to uh, even before the Trump administration took over, is the efficacy of free trade and protectionism, and and whether you're going to have uh, a system like this, and they, they they bring the kids up into Vermont. Certainly not a huge manufacturing base, but what they do is they point to the countryside there and they say, "Look, they had sheep up there, and there were these." Ta- and and Coolidge would have been very much interested in a, a tax or a protection of the woolen industry. Or you see those trees over the over the hillside there; maple syrup comes from there. And and what what comes out from there, but also sugar, and and how did the uh, uh, tariffs on sugar impact not only uh, the hillsides of Vermont and Louisiana and things like that, but foreign economies? Uh, what happened when we raised or lowered uh, the tariffs on sugar uh, to the Cuban economy, and did that have an impact? on destabilizing the Cuban economy, which, uh, before you know it, you move from Batista to Castro because people were, were upset because they, the Americans weren't buying as much Cuban sugar and their economy had gone downhill again, in part because of those dislocations of World War One and how production goes up not only for American wheat in 1914-18, but Cuban sugar in 1914-18 and their economy being much less balanced, they get hurt even more. And then when you see tariffs going up again from the United States, then you get even, even more trouble in, uh, in the uh, paradise, which was once uh, Havana. All right, David. In, if tariffs are raised, who wins and who loses? Well, the, the, the people who uh, manufacture the goods – that are protected, uh, protected. the uh, materials that are protected, they win. The consumer loses, at least in the short run, in the long run. Uh, but And, of course, what's the long run in politics? As I discussed uh, earlier, um, the people in power tend to lose power or a good part of their power, their congressional house seats very early on after the passage, either up or down, of a tariff. If, in fact, the Trump administration uh, or the Republicans in the House of Representatives 
uh, go out of business if there's a, shall we say, regime change in America and the tariffs are reversed, then there is no long-term uh, effect um, on the American economy. There's no jobs being created, and all you've had is, is a momentary dislocation and a rise in prices for the consumer. But the thing is, a tariff. I was, I was on with a fellow the other day, and he was talking about how he was uh, likening it to a hotel tax where uh, the locals don't pay the hotel tax, the visitors pay the hotel tax. And the tariff would be where Americans don't pay the tariff. It's paid by foreigners. Well, that's completely wrong. It's paid by American consumers. Those are the people who get hurt by that. Uh, but it does pay the bills for the federal government, and it does help create American jobs uh, in the long run. How then does the American consumer win, or doesn't he? Well, they they they... They short term again. They get they take it in the neck, uh, and if you're trying to rebuild an economy, you know the American consumer has only so much money, and it's if you. There was a great book published years ago by a guy named Henry Hazlitt called Economics in One Lesson, and the lesson was don't just look at the one effect of an economic measure. Carry it all the way through and see what all those unintended consequences are. And one of the unintended consequences are if American consumers are paying more for Chinese metals, steel, aluminum, any sort of goods, then they've got less money to pay for any other goods, including American-made goods, including foodstuffs or plastics or anything else made here. So it's those unintended consequences uh, of any economic move, which are the ones you've, you better watch out for, because they will come whether you're prepared for them or not, or whether you've, you've thought them through or not. Uh, but again, one of those things which we've only briefly touched on is that question of, of intellectual property. And this is tied up with this entire trade war issue as much as anything. And what this means is if an American manufacturer wants to or, or distributor or company wants to make goods in China, they have to turn over all their intellectual property and the ideas of how to make very complex stuff over to the Chinese. And before you know it, they have pirated that process. They have stolen our ideas, our copyrights, our patents and use it to unfairly compete with us. And this is one of the things which Trump is trying to do. I think it's a very hard thing for, for the American public to think about or something that they don't normally think about. Maybe if they did think about it, they would, they would say, yes, we have to put a stop to that. And if we have to play hardball on something else right now, it's worth doing because otherwise the, the Chinese are going to own not only all the factories, but all the uh, all the intellectual means of production, and we will be at a, a phenomenal 
uh, disadvantage in in uh, in terms of anything, uh, particularly in in regard to so, uh, software manufacturing, to chip uh, computer chip manufacturing. Uh, upstate in New York, where I live, a few years ago there was an initiative to bring uh, um, a the manufacturing base of these chips, which are crucial to the modern economy into upstate New York. That is that has succeeded to a great extent. But again, uh, if we are dependent on these uh, little tiny devices, these gr- miracle grains of sand, which power everything from greeting cards to our smartphones and the Google search engines and our cars now, so much of our cars are, are basically computers on wheels, uh, if, if the Chinese control all of this, they control the world. And we can't allow that, either economically or in terms of world freedom. Don't the Chinese, though, currently have a large fist on the throat of the American economy now with the debt that we have? Yes, yes. Paid for by Chinese money. That's right. They they've got the T bills. What happens if if uh, if they decide to dump the T bills? Uh, that that is a, a phenomenal gun to our head. So far, they have not done that. One of the things which controls them is a a certain great rationality and business sense. Uh, they're not bulls in the china shop. Uh, they're very savvy that way. And they know that if they crash uh, our system of debt, they crash our economy, and then how are we going to buy their damn steel? Uh, so they have to be very careful. They're, they're, not, they're not immune to – they may be communists, but they're not immune to market forces either. And they've done very well exploiting uh, market forces in in their own communistic way, in their own authoritarian way, their their planned economy. But they've allowed certain things to to occur, and and they know they they're very sophisticated. In some ways, maybe more sophisticated than the people who uh, at least governmentally run our economy. So, what's the answer? The answer is the answer is when you do tariffs when you do trade to do them in a in a very sophisticated manner to not be as jack kennedy said uh let us never uh fear to negotiate but let us never negotiate from fear uh in in many ways with with trade for several decades we've uh really not negotiated smartly we've operated like we have this immense limitless largesse that we can well there used to be in the cartoons like a a character you don't hear much about anymore you know called uncle sap the fellow who could win every war and lose every treaty and so out of the goodness of our heart, we would often try to encourage the economies of developing nations. Well, at, at some point, the largesse and the um, ability to do this run out for America. And 
in this world economy, particularly with the with the Pacific Rim being so strong now, we have to we have to look out uh, for not only for the American consumer, but for the American worker, and to maintain a balanced economy. It can't just all be a service economy. You know, the old joke was how how will people support themselves? And we'll t- we'll support ourselves by taking in each other's wash. Well, the American economy cannot be based on taking in each other's wash. We have to make stuff and do stuff and add value to uh, to raw materials. And if to do this, we have to occasionally uh, play hardball with the rest of the world, particularly with the Chinese. Well, maybe that's overdue. But it has to be done smart, and it cannot be done with a sense of 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 unthinkingness and and unrealized or realized bravado. In other words, the idea that trade wars are easy to win—a direct recent quote from the executive—is simply nonsense. They are very very dangerous and can be very easy to lose which does not mean one should not at least try to put the economic system in in greater balance. And what happens if we lose the trade war? If we lose the trade war, uh, then, you know, that as Ross Perot said, a giant sucking sound of America, American money continuing to go overseas. And how long can that can that go for? It also means uh, that you have lost again your manufacturing base, and again, oh, what was what's the, what was the concept in in retail? Loss leaders. Uh, what was the concept in monopolies at the turn of the 20th century uh, with the great cartels? That at some point or or at the beginning of the process, oh, the big box stores undercut, uh, take losses uh, on goods, which they're selling to the consumer, to undercut the mom-and-pop stores. Uh, In the early 20th century, the big cartels and monopolies would undercut their um, competitors, lowball them, to drive them out of business. And once they are driven out of business, the mom-and-pops or the uh, smaller competitors then what do the predatory economic interests do? Then they jack up the prices on the consumer. So there's there's a, a real danger to that if, in fact, uh, uh, one country has the monopoly on something and determines that, okay, we are going to charge the consumer everything, be everything beyond what the market will bear. We've got a gun to their heads. And I'd like to say thank you to David Petruza for his educational presentation to us helping us thank you my pleasure to help us understand tariffs and what we need to do thank you david thank you and you've been listening to wip sunday here on 94 wip my name's peter solomon stay tuned for sports talk with sunny hill always interesting and provocative discussion in the living room your opinions sunny's reactions i know i'll be listening and finally thank you to phil jackson this morning's producer and Ann Tidman Solomon, associate producer and my dear wife. Couldn't do the show without either one of you. And before I forget, if you have a different perspective or want to recommend to me a guest that I should get on any of these issues, whether it was on tariffs or anything else, 
please get in touch with me here at the station, and I'll pursue it. Thank you.